This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today our guest is Karen Hock. Karen is the Assistant Director of Ambulatory Rehab Services here at the James, and she and her team are experts in providing physical therapy support for cancer patients. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the special physical therapy and occupational therapy needs of cancer patients who have undergone surgery or who may have had chemotherapy or radiation or both, and who develop a whole host of side effects such as fatigue, weight loss, the loss of strength, some balance issues, as well as lymphedema or neuropathy, and about how it takes a specially trained team of physical therapists and occupational therapists to help these cancer patients get back on their feet, literally in some cases, and back to living their lives as normally as possible. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Thank you for having me. Karen, let's start out a little bit about your team, your physical therapy and occupational therapy team. How many of you are there and sort of what special training do you have to be able to specialize in helping cancer patients? We are a group of 14 therapists, physical therapists and occupational therapists. We specialize in the rehabilitation of a patient with cancer, focusing on, like you said, those side effects, what side effects they may get from their treatment. Our team is uh, specially trained in lymphedema therapy. They have a certified lymphedema therapy certificate and are certified by the Lymphology Association of North America. Just overall, what are sort of the issues that um, cancer patients face after surgery, chemo, all the different treatments? What are some of their needs, some of the things that physically and even cognitively that, that they're struggling with and need to improve on so they can get back to hopefully their normal life. One of the biggest issues that a lot of our, our patients talk about is their fatigue level, whether it's fatigue from surgery, from their chemotherapy, from their radiation, or a lot of them have a combination of those interventions. So we, we work a lot on helping them get their energy level back. And we know through research that the best way to do that is with exercise and activity. It almost sounds counterintuitive that if you're tired, the way to, to reduce fatigue is to work harder and exercise more, but it seems to help, right? And that's the biggest barrier to helping someone get over their fatigue. It, they, they don't feel like exercising, which completely understand. Yeah, if you're tired. And we we want to find ways to help them do that and help them fit that into their, their activity every day so it's not a, a drudge to, so, to try and become active. So when someone is uh, suffering from fatigue from their cancer treatment and, and they come in to see you, what would be sort of the the first things you would have them do? Is it as simple as, as walking a little more or uh, uh, lifting a, a weight? Or, or how do you start off someone in, a, in, a, in an exercise program? The first thing is really to, to evaluate them completely and, and see where the, some deficits may present, whether it could be some strength issue as well as a flexibility or range of motion issue. Um, it could be a balance problem, and it could be all of those, plus the fact that they're tired. And starting with just some basic exercise, or it could be walking a little bit more during their their day. The other piece of the fatigue is the the mental fatigue. Some patients refer to it as a chemo brain if if they've had chemotherapy. Yeah, I've just, heard that term before, before, and it's just you're just 
you just don't feel like yourself? Is, is that sort of what yeah, it's like? Yeah, they talk about feeling like there's a fog. They have trouble maybe concentrating. Um, you know, even watching TV can be too tiresome. Our occupational therapy team works on that cognitive piece with patients and helping them with that part of the fatigue. Okay. You know, that, that might be a, a good question. It, what is the difference between physical therapy and, and occupational therapy? So we think about occupational therapy as helping you get back to those roles that you have in your life, whether it's a parent, a spouse, an employee, um, doing the, the things that you need to do to take care of yourself during the day, fixing a meal, um, dressing, taking care of the house. Physical. So it's, yeah, it's not necessarily, it sounds like it, it's your job, getting you ready for a job, but it's just your daily life. Yes. Because right? I remember I had to do that once, and they had me make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. the, the, it's, it's the roles yeah. we have in our life, and it could be caring for children, whatever that responsibility is. Okay. So now, are you and your team special specialists in both, or do you sort of specialize in either the physical therapy or the occupational therapy side of it. Exactly. We, we are separate. So occupational therapy will focus on those return to role functions. Physical therapy will focus on um, walking, uh, physically moving around, um, balance, pain. And our roles sometimes do cross, and, and we work very closely together. So there are um, things that both occupational therapy and physical therapy may work on, but they may take a different approach. And, and, and now that I'm thinking about it, you see a range of people who have kind of minimal uh, physical and cognitive issues to people who really are struggling in terms of, of strength and fatigue and, and the chemo brain. So there, it's a wide range. So what, what you said, your initial evaluation, is, I'm assuming, is really important to figure out the game plan for each person. It is important to, to understand where, every, where each person is coming from and to understand what's important to them. And physical therapy or occupational therapy has a role from that early diagnosis stage clear through the whole continuum. Our goal is to, to give people the tools they need to, to live a healthy, productive life, doing the things they want to do. Strength is a pretty big problem for a lot of people, and sometimes because of other issues, maybe um, sensory issues or balance problems, you might not be able to do what you might consider as regular exercise to get your strength back. So we try and incorporate it into their daily lives. Um, we do things they we teach them things they can do maybe while they're standing at the counter. Um, washing a dish. Um, we might help them work with their family or their children to do an activity because it becomes more enjoyable when they can do something with their family. Um, we use other um, more maybe like computer-based programs that can be a little more interactive and help them work on strength, flexibility, and balance maybe all at the same time. How, does, how would that computer-based program work? Well, what we have in the, in the clinic is a, a sensor we can put on the body, whether it's their trunk or maybe an extremity, and they can draw a picture on the screen 
or they can uncover a picture on the screen. And with that, we can work on their endurance, their balance, their flexibility. And a lot of times, people may have a program at home that they, they can use. And it, when you, I'm not sure what you mean when you say uncover a picture on the screen. So the screen might start completely um, white. And as they move their arm that has the sensor on, it will, in a sense, erase that white and reveal a picture underneath. Oh, so the more they exercise, the more you see of the picture. And when you've completed the exercise, you see the whole picture of a beautiful waterfall. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Is that actually one of the pictures? Of, yes, oh, you ooh, can I, pick. That was a good guess. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> that's, that's what I would pick. How long can fatigue last and be an issue? Unfortunately, when, when cancer survivors are asked that question, a lot of them report a significant amount of fatigue even five years after treatment has ended. And that's one of our education points with patients and family that, you know, this, is, this can be normal. We want to help you through it. But if you're still feeling some fatigue a year or two years afterward, that, that could be a very normal thing. And it's a good education piece for, for families because their loved one may look like they're themselves again, their hair grew back, maybe they went back to work, but they're still maybe not completely back to where they were. And not that they can't get back to what they might consider their old normal level of energy, but it may take a while. Yeah. So patience is, is one of these keys. And I guess in today's world, everyone wants, they want to be, they want things immediately. Well, you so, know, treatment's done. I want to be back to yeah. what I was doing. Certainly understand that. Oh uh, yeah. That's a huge psychological thing of this. I want to be, I want to do what I used to do now with some things. And I, and I know that you do some sort of like massaging and stretching for people who are having flexibility issues. Is that part of your training and part of your treatment or explain? So um, we do a lot of manual work on our patients uh, with, with um, radiation. They can get fibrosis of their tissue. It makes the tissue very hard. So we'll use some myofascial manual work to help loosen up the tissue. And that's to, like a massage technique? Um, it's a hands-on technique, um, not quite a, a massage to work on stretching that underlying tissue. Um, we use lymphatic drainage, which is more a, a massage technique for lymphedema. But we do a, a lot of hands-on work with the patients. As you're working on someone, either over time or even in one session, can you, as the, the expert doing this, can you feel that fascia sort of loosening a little and stretching? Definitely. You can definitely feel the change in the tissue, and usually the, the patient will then see that either in less pain, more flexibility, and that can happen in one session. Well, because I know uh, particularly with um, breast cancer patients, there's a lot of radiation in the chest area, which leads to a lot of what you're talking about, that, that stiffness with, it, with your whole upper body. Exactly. Posture is a big problem when when. Women have had radiation on the front of their chest wall, and it kind of pulls them into a very stooped position, and we really want to work to get that tissue um, elastic again and allow them to fully expand their chest wall like they should. 
Okay, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Karen and we're going to then dig into the, the whole lymphedema and neuropathy issues, which are two of the bigger side effects that she and her team help patients work through. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Karen Hawk talking about physical therapy and occupational therapy and how important they are for cancer patients. Karen, let's talk about lymphedema. What is it and how do you treat it? So lymphedema can happen when lymph nodes have been surgically removed, perhaps um, affected by uh, radiation, or um, impacted by some trauma through treatment. And when the lymphatic fluid can't flow through the channels like it was meant to, it's like a roadblock. It backs up, and then it starts leaking into the tissue, and that causes the swelling that most people relate with lymphedema. For a breast cancer patient, those lymph nodes that are in the armpit or in the, the breast are, can be removed in some cases, and those are responsible for helping to drain the fluid from the, the front of the chest wall, the arm on that side, and even a portion of the, the side of the, the trunk. There are lymph nodes everywhere yeah. in the body, so lymphedema can, can occur anywhere in the body, and there's a lot of lymph nodes in the head and neck, so that's an area that can be affected. How about the legs? Is that cause, does that happen from cancer treatment? A lot of times for, for different cancers, they will sample lymph nodes in the groin, which can predispose patients to having lymphedema in the lower extremity, or they may... Uh, sample lymph nodes deep in the pelvis that also could lead to lower extremity swelling. So in addition to the swelling, is it is it painful? Most time, patients do not say it's painful, but it is definitely uncomfortable. The limb might feel heavy or tight. The skin stretches yeah. tight. Um, but some patients do complain of pain. And how much swelling? Like, is there a way to put a percent percentage like... 25% larger or 50 I, I, So that... if, we're, if we're talking about volume, most studies will, will use a 10% difference in, in limb size to say that is indicative of lymphedema. But unfortunately, the limb can get quite large. large. So 10% is sort of the threshold where you have lymphedema and it can go up from there. So how do, you, how do you measure that? One way that we um, just measure is with a good old tape measure. But we are, we are looking at um, ways to pick up lymphedema earlier or before it really starts to occur. So early surveillance of lymphedema with a bioimpedance measurement that measures the fluid in between the cells or the intracellular fluid has become one of the newer ways that we may be able to pick up lymphedema before it shows itself outwardly. So, so do you do a baseline sort of 
test with this machine even before the uh, surgery? Exactly. That's the most important measurement. Without that, we don't we don't have a lot to measure against. So we we take a measurement prior to surgery, and then at three month intervals after surgery for the first year, and six month intervals the second year, and watch for changes in that bioimpedance score, which would tell us that a patient could be collecting more fluid in the extremity. Okay, and so once you do determine that that they're at that closing in on or above that 10% increase threshold, how do you treat lymphedema? So if, if a patient presented with an increasing score, we would use low-level compression at that point to try and is essentially reverse that process. And for a large percentage of patients, that can happen. And if after about three months of low-level compression use, if we're not seeing the change we want, we might intervene with a more standard conservative treatment, which would be the uh, complete decongestive therapy. Well, first, what what is what is the low-level compression? Is that those sleeves that I've seen that people yes. wear, or uh, so there's so it would be a compression a, garment sli- that you would wear. And yes, it's, and it's like a, a sleeve, almost like the sleeve of a tight-fitting shirt right. that you would wear on your arm, and that compression. What does that do? That compression. So the fluid is having trouble staying in the lymphatic channels, and it wants to leak out into the tissue. By applying external compression, we're, we're giving it more resistance, it, it, so it doesn't want to come out into the oh, tissue, but stay, into those, stay in those lymphatic channels and move along like the body intended. Okay, so in some cases that can help a, a little or a lot. And and what what happens when it, it again what when that the low level compression isn't working as well as you'd like? What's then explain that next step again? So the conservative treatment and still the gold standard treatment for lymphedema is called complete or comprehensive decongestive therapy, and that includes the manual lymphatic drainage, which we spoke of briefly, but essentially that's to help us reroute that fluid to other areas of the body where there's lymph nodes that can do more work uh, okay. for us. And again, I, I have a feeling I keep using the word massage, which isn't the proper word, but it's, I think, perhaps the one people understand. But it's not a massage, but you're sort of pushing the fluids in the direction you want them to go? Is essentially, that- I, I, essentially, that's it. We, we're working with the, the lymphatic system, out how it flows to decongest an area or move it to an, a part of the body that can do a little bit of extra work for us. So, for example, if, if someone's right arm, you were doing that decongestive therapy, what, like how, where would you be uh, moving your hands on their arm, pushing it, the fluid so up, we up? would we would work, first we start very centrally to the body. So we, we start with the neck area always and try and get those big lymphatic channels opened and ready to accept fluid. And if the right arm or the arm that had the the swelling, we would be working to move that fluid to the left side of the body, so the left oh, armpit, okay. or even the right groin. So both kind of setting up some detours. And perhaps the, 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 it's usually one side of the lymphatic system is more damaged, if that's the right word. So if you you're, you're pushing it from the side that has had the most operations to the side that didn't and is working better. Exactly. 
in, in talking to some people, I know that surgical techniques have advanced and that they're not having to take as many lymph nodes out as they did years ago. Or is that how, how does that relate to what you see in, in your clinic? Are you seeing less cases or less severe cases or, or no change? I think so. Once they were able to, to reduce the amount of lymph nodes taken out, historically, uh, women would have or men would have a axillary node dissection, meaning two of three levels of lymph nodes in the armpit were removed. That, that predisposed people to a much higher level of lymphedema. That process improved in the late 90s, and they're able to now take what they call a sentinel node, just the couple nodes perhaps that that particular tumor is draining to, and that, is, that has reduced the amount of lymphedema. Unfortunately, that procedure can't always be done, but when it can, that's a much better situation. Well, let's talk a little bit about neuropathy. And first of all, what is it and what causes it? So chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy is um, a condition that affects the, the nerves in the periphery, or most often we'll, we'll hear about patients complain about their hands and their feet, so the, the long nerves away from the center of the body. There are certain chemotherapy drugs that unfortunately affect those nerves, and patients may start reporting numbness, tingling, uh, most often there's sensory symptoms, burning, um, and, and sometimes it can even be a, a motor, so a muscle strength issue, but most often it's sensory. And patients may report, you know, it's, I have trouble buttoning buttons. I, it, it hurts really to put my shoes on. Um, I, put I them on or, and then wear them? And then like, wear so them. The whole day your feet are hurting. If you yes. have to go somewhere, yeah. Yes. So it's time to return to work, and I'm, you know, I might need to put on my professional shoes, but that's really terribly uncomfortable, and and that's hard. And it would be any shoes; it's not just. You no, know, so they it, might be more comfortable in some open sandal or oh, a, a it's slipper. Not as many. Exactly. Wow. So people have all these issues. And I can imagine if, balance, if you have balance and, and numbness in your feet, that may lead to, to having trouble walking. So how do you, what, what's the treatment? So first, we, we want to quantify this somehow. So we do have a, a balance plate that may help us determine what level of balance issue a patient is having. And that can also help us determine if our treatment's becoming or is effective for them. Um, the other issue with the peripheral neuropathy or, or the treatment is we we have to help the the body help those nerves calm down. They're at a heightened sense of irritability. Everything bothers these nerves, and that's not that's not really where we want them to be. It's like they're angry. From they are very what they angry. went through. Yeah. Which, so yeah. so we we talk a lot about um, desensitization using fabrics or, or um, textures that are soft and comfortable and moving through a spectrum to fabrics that may be rougher or um, more textured. So helping those nerves go from a, a level of heightened irritability back down to where they should be, where a sock and a shoe doesn't bother them. And oh, these so are, it's like you're retraining them and you start yes. off with the most smoothest thing that would bother you the least as you get used to that. Slightly, low, and you get up to terry cloth or whatever. Yeah, something the, the most rough 
uh, cloth is. Well, how how effective is that? Can you reduce, eliminate, or what 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 happens to people with this? We we did a study a, a year or so ago that showed that. Um, teaching patients a home intervention of desensitization, range of motion, strengthening, and just teaching them how to touch that tissue softly, but getting that kind of brain connection, you know, that connection between your hands and your brain and your feet, um, was quite effective in helping them reduce their pain and increase their function and improve their quality of life. It's not a fast process, but it has shown to be effective. Wow, so it's, all, and it's retraining the brain in some ways of how to interact with the nerves. Exactly. Wow, and that, so, wow, okay. Well, this has been great. This has been fascinating, and, and, and one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on is just to let people know that obviously the James has world-class physicians, scientists, doctors performing operations and clinical trials, but there's so much more to a cancer hospital and comprehensive cancer center, and that's where you and your team come in with survivorship, with helping people get back their lives, with psychosocial services, with James Care for Life and Education. So you're just a very, very you and your team are a very important part of the, the puzzle of, of putting people's lives back together. So thanks for sharing everything you do. Thank you. We have a great team of therapists and they have a great passion for the patients that we we see. I want to help people get back to doing the things that are important to them, no matter what that is. Um, There have been many instances over the years of, of helping people reach those goals. There was a young girl that was having a lot of trouble after her bone marrow transplant she couldn't walk very well, and her goal was to be able to walk down the aisle for her wedding. She was a hard worker, and we worked and worked at it, and she walked down that aisle, and that's why we do what we do. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Soloff Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.